If you would pray with me as we open the scriptures. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask that you would um, use this uh, passage of scripture to uh, lay on our hearts more and more um, the, uh, your great love for your people and um, our need to lift our brothers and sisters in Christ up who are suffering throughout the world, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So every year I try to, for this service, I try to find updates on the persecution of the church of Christians worldwide. This year's, this year's reports for the years 2021 and 2022 show that the persecution of Christians worldwide is increasing significantly, especially in Asia and in Africa. Overall, uh, religious freedom for Christians is being more and more restricted, and it's been documented that 5,898 Christians were killed for their faith in the year 2022. Additionally, the number of Christian women who are kidnapped has risen dramatically. Uh, the kidnappings of Christian women are up by 124%. Uh, Afghanistan, as Dakota mentioned, uh, is um, since uh, the withdrawal of um, the United States uh, military and the ascension or reascension of the Taliban, Afghanistan has now taken overtaken North Korea uh, as the uh, most dangerous nation in the world for Christians. Uh, and Nigeria is uh, in Africa is number seven in the world for persecution, but it's it's really jumped forward uh, in the last uh, two or three years. Uh, in fact, it's had the biggest jump in the severity of persecution of any country. Uh, most of the Christians that were murdered uh, in the last two or three years were, were killed in Nigeria. Now with hostilities in the Middle East on the rise, we can expect that radical Islam will even be more aggressive in seeking to persecute and murder their enemies. One of the central questions that this morning's uh, passage raises is this question. Can God really protect his people from persecution? And if persecution is on the rise, where is God? Why is he not doing more to shelter his people from the hatred of the world? So I'm going to give a short response to these questions before we look at our text. And so I would respond first that God does promise his protection and care to his people. Uh, and then uh, God also promises that his people will suffer persecution. In Matthew chapter 10 verses 24 and 25, Jesus says that we will suffer persecution like he did only we will suffer it even worse. He says, do not fear those, however, 
who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. We can trust God to not let go of us when we are suffering persecution at the hands of a God-hating world. Uh, We can trust God that uh, his love and his care is stirred toward his children when they are suffering uh, for their faith in him. So that even as they lose their homes, even as they lose their freedoms, uh, even as they lose their life, God will safely bring them into his kingdom and his glory. The martyrs in Revelation uh, were closest to God. They were even right underneath the altar. And uh, God promised that those who had been persecuted would be avenged. So in uh, Revelation chapter 6, we read, And he opened the fifth seal, and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. We should not expect that Christians will not suffer. Just the opposite. We should expect that suffering and persecution will be a part of our life and our testimony as Christians. We should include in our prayers petitions for Christians throughout uh, the world who are suffering. Uh, We should pray for them to stand firm. And we should also pray for ourselves that when the times come for us or for our succeeding generations to stand firm in Christ, that we would indeed stand firm even as we are suffering persecution. Now, on to our text. The book of Zechariah was written to the Jewish people just as the exile from Babylon was ending. Uh, The main purpose of the book of Zechariah was to call the people to return to the Lord and trust in him. Part of their returning to the Lord meant leaving the relative uh, security of Babylon to return to the city of Jerusalem, a city which lay in ruins. Uh, we just finished the book of, uh, of Lamentations on Wednesday nights, and, and we saw chapter after chapter after chapter of uh, Jeremiah's laments over the city of Jerusalem and how the destruction was complete. And so now, 70 years later, God is calling his people to return. That's, that's uh, verses 6 and 7. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, which is Babylon, declares the Lord. For I have spread you 
abroad as the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. So God's calling his people to come back to Jerusalem. And then he says, as a first priority, before you build the walls of the city, rebuild the temple. Uh, The natural inclination of course, would be to rebuild the walls for protection as a first priority. Why rebuild the temple if you have no walls and the people are going to attack you and kill you? But as our vision, as this vision in our text tells us, God will be their protection. So look at verse 5. God says, and I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Also look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches um, you touches the apple of his eye. And we also learn here in this passage that God would dwell in their midst. In fact, that's why they needed to rebuild the temple as a first priority, because God's priority was that he would dwell in the midst of his people. And so verses 10 and 11, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So as the vision begins in verses 1 and 2, we Uh, see a young man who is eager to measure the width and the breadth of the city of Jerusalem so that the walls can be rebuilt. But an angel stopped him and he said to him that Jerusalem will not need walls. And there's two reasons why the angel gives that they that uh, the city of Jerusalem will not uh, need walls. First, The city will be too prosperous and the population too great for it to be contained within any walls that might be built. And then secondly, God will be Jerusalem's wall of protection and his protection will be better than anything a physical wall could provide. So verses 1 through 5, I lifted up my eyes and I saw and behold a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? And the young man uh, said to me to measure Jerusalem to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the the glory in her midst. Our God did indeed uh, protect Jerusalem while the temple was being rebuilt. Uh, All the people needed to do was trust in him and get busy building the temple. 
From our standpoint, it seems simple and straightforward. They needed to trust God. They needed to make him their, their priority. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, as the Lord Jesus promises his people. But take a moment to reflect on your own life and your own priorities in a practical sense. Where do you place your trust in your day-to-day life? Um, Do you place your trust in the Lord first and completely? Or do you place your trust in your bank account and the Lord secondly? Or in your reputation? Or in your uh, relationships? Or in which political party is in power? Or who's in the White House? All these things are important. Make no mistake. They are important. But God should always be where you place your trust. Especially when other concerns are begging for first place in your life. This text, our our text also uh, raises a theological question. The angel said that the city of Jerusalem would be so prosperous that people and livestock would be so numerous that it could not be contained within the walls of the city, that walls would be impossible to contain it. But did that ever happen? As God's people did begin to return from Babylon, the city did grow, uh, grew rather rapidly as people were coming in. Prosperity uh, began to, to take hold. But that was only in a limited degree, a very limited degree, certainly not to the degree we are led to believe from this vision. And then what happened less than 100 years later? Well, Nehemiah showed up and he began to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem with God's approval. So when can we expect, here's the theological question, when can we expect the real, the complete fulfillment of this vision. I think we get a hint of what the, the fulfillment of this vision will look like and why the city will be so overflowing with people that no walled city could ever contain it. I think we get a, vi- a hint from verses 10 through 12. So if you have your Bibles open, look again um, as I read. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and dwell in your midst, declares the Lord, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem." Just before our Lord ascended into heaven, he told them to wait into, in Jerusalem until he poured out his spirit. And then they were to preach in Jerusalem, but they weren't to stop there. They were then to go into Samaria and proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. And they weren't to stop there. They were to go into the furthest ends of the earth to proclaim Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what they did. Now the city of God, Mount Zion, continues to grow 
and to spread as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It cannot be uh, contained. It has expanded to every continent on the face of the earth. Verse 11 says that many nations will join themselves to the Lord and will become the Lord's people. Does this concept sound familiar as we have been studying Ephesians? And have we have uh, referred to Ephesians chapter 2 many times? Ephesians chapter 2, again, Paul writes, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The promises made to Abraham way back In Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, that the nations would belong to God are being fulfilled in the church. And this is the message of Zechariah chapter 2 verses 10 through 12. In fact, I'm struck how easily, how seamlessly in this vision uh, that the vision moves between Jerusalem and the church. It supports the idea that Israel was the Old Testament church and that the church is the New Testament Israel. In fact, I'm reminded of the conclusion of the, um, the, the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians was written to a Gentile congregation. But the Apostle Paul, in his conclusion, says, As for all who walk by this rule... Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And he calls this Gentile congregation the Israel of God. This connection of the people of Jerusalem in Zechariah's vision with the church is important for us. It means that the same promise given to Uh, the Jews, that God would be a wall of fire all around them is also a promise given to us. Uh, That his attitude toward us is the same attitude as his attitude toward the people of Jerusalem, that we also are the apple of his eye, as it says in verse 8. And that anyone who harms his people is harming his most beloved people. In fact, that God is, or the fact that God is a wall of fire all around us does not mean that we won't be touched, but that God will safely bring us into his presence and he will pour out his fierce vengeance 
upon those who hate and harm his people. This week I read about the the Uduk people, I think is how you would pronounce it. Um, This is a people group within uh, the nation of Sudan. Nearly the entire tribe had converted to Christianity. And in 1996, they were attacked by the army of the Islamic National Government in Sudan. And their churches were blown up. Their Bibles, they they would rip the pages out of the Bible so that they could use them to roll cigarettes. Um, And many of the men of the Uduk uh, people were murdered. Some were uh, murdered by crucifixion, while the women were largely kidnapped and raped. And this happened to them specifically because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Atrocities like this may cause us to wonder why God did not protect them if he is indeed a wall of fire all around us. But the Udek people did not raise this question. When the rebels uh, recaptured their region, And the rebels rebelled against the Islamic national government. When the rebels recaptured their region in 2001, the Christians returned. And the first thing that they did, like God told the Jews in our passage to rebuild the temple, they rebuilt their churches so that they could gather and worship God. Simon Mahmoud, one of the leaders of the Udek people, says, We have nothing but we have everything. He said this because they knew that God is sufficient, that if you have him, you have what you need most. To conclude, fierce, there is indeed fierce opposition toward Christians in the world today. Uh, In the midst of all this, God promises his people that he will be present with them, that he will be in their midst. We saw it in verse 5, saw it in verses 10 and 11. God promises over and again he'll be in the midst of his people. And our God is indeed in the midst of his people. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the midst of our uh, hateful and sinful world in order to live the perfect life that none of us have lived. He came to be the substitute for Adam, who failed uh, as our first father to uh, obey God in all things. And he went to the cross and stood in our place on the cross, suffered the wrath of God in our place, And he did this to pay for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. The Lord Jesus came into our midst and then he rose gloriously from the dead. And then he came back to earth to encourage and strengthen his disciples. And then he ascended. But in ascending, he told them, wait in Jerusalem till I pour out my spirit and pour out his spirit upon his church. He certainly did. 
and now. You and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are God's temple. God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. God is always in our midst. God is in the midst of your brothers and sisters in the Islamic nations, in the communistic nations, in the God-hating nations where they are suffering persecution. And we think, what if it happened to us? How would we be able to stand the same way they are? God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in them. Even as they are weak and powerless before the uh, persecutors, they are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ because God, the Holy Spirit, is in them. They are giving up their lives. They are suffering persecution, not because they are wilting, but because they are standing firm in Jesus Christ with the, by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit at work in them. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the same power that we have, the power of your Holy Spirit, is also at work in our brothers and sisters as they are standing firm and testifying to Jesus Christ in the face of fierce opposition. Oh Lord, even as we remember them, help us to remember the power that you have given us and help us to stand firm. And Lord, also, as they are our brothers and sisters in Christ, if one part of the body hurts, the whole body feels the pain. Lord, help us to sympathize with them in our prayers, empathize with them in our prayers, and be faithful in praying for them. Because you love them dearly. And you have given them your Holy Spirit who will help them to stand firm in the midst of such uh, horrifying persecution that many are facing. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.